0: Well, good morning, friends here at Eastside. I want to just thank you for giving me a chance to to represent the school that you all have been partnering with in your mission support of Central Christian College of the Bible. As Jason said, I am from Missouri. I'm almost a lifelong Missourian. And I chose first hour to ignore the whole Bengals-Chiefs rivalry. But i got to bring something up this, uh, this hour. Um, I, I appreciate the Bengals uh, uh, jerseys and all that I see out there. I made sure that I scheduled myself to not be in Cincinnati on December 31st for the game between the Chiefs and the Bengals. I don't know how it's going to go, no predictions. I will say the last time that the uh, Bengals beat the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl, one of my, uh, one of my employees in Cincinnati gave me a Bengals shirt as a, as a gift, right? <laughs> he still works for us, but the shirt's no longer in my drawer. Let's just put it that way. All right, so uh, anyway, thank you for having a team worthy of competition on the field with the Chiefs. That's great. And uh, thank you for welcoming me this morning. Uh, Ministry education at Central Christian College of the Bible is something I've been a part of for many years, both as a graduate and then as an employee there. I started in 1996 at the young age of 25 as a professor. And I was a professor for five years. I became the dean for 12 years I've been the president now for 10 years, and although I never attended college here in Cincinnati at the seminary, I always told people that I got a Cincinnati education in Missouri, because all of my professors at Moberly were graduates of the seminary here in Cincinnati. So I heard stories about different ministers and different teachers and different experiences that now I get to be a part of as I discover those relationships with people and I see how rich not only that tradition is, but how important the legacy of ministry education in the greater Cincinnati is, area is. And we're glad to be part of that through our Russell School of Ministry, through the Christian Church Leadership Network that supports ministers like Jason and your staff, and also through the uh, Elliott Library. And we've got some stuff that uh, is over there that is so interesting to look at. I hope you'll put together a group. I know Dick Hess is trying to get a group of, of senior citizens to come over and see it. We host people Tell them about the Bible. Show them artifacts that have been discovered through archaeology and illustrations of those things. Let them see and touch stuff. And I, and I always say, you know, when you're, when you're a senior citizen, it makes you feel a little bit younger when you're touching something that's 5,000 years old. So uh, it, it'll make you feel younger if only for a day, if you want to come over there. We are so happy to have the chance to do that. You know, uh, I always get a chance, uh, enjoy getting the chance to preach, especially if I can write a new sermon my old ones even bore me. So I like writing new sermons. And when I get a chance to preach in someone else's series of sermons, that's exciting for me. Uh, You know, I used to be a teacher. I enjoy teaching, but I don't like grading homework or taking attendance. So preaching is the perfect thing. You know, I don't have any homework when this is over to grade. And whether you're here or not here or asleep or awake is between you and the Lord. So all I have to do is just share what's on my heart and walk away and, and hope I've done my part and let the Holy Spirit and you do your part. Uh, today was a little different because instead of giving a specific passage and set of expectations, the topic is God's love and the passage is the whole Bible. You know, it's pretty broad, let's put it that way. And the unfortunate thing about being so broad is I teach my students in speech class You know, the best way to succeed in a speech is to have as narrow of a purpose and as narrow of a topic as possible. And, uh, you know, I started with maybe the biggest topic in the Bible. What do we do to understand the nature of divine love? Well, there's no better place to start than John 3.16, which you'll see in the stands at the football game or maybe even sometimes painted on football players' faces. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it links together those two words of love and giving. And you'll find as you start progressing through the New Testament that love is evidenced by God's giving. For instance, Romans 8.32, in discussing the love of God, he didn't even spare his own son but gave him a... For us all, how will he not only with him grant us everything? God generously gave his son as an expression of his love. And then you get to Ephesians chapter 5. When you start the chapter, I'd even forgot about this passage till this morning when this was a chapter in my uh, daily Bible reading. It starts with that link. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. The love-give link is strong. And when you get to the end of chapter 5, which is where I finally figured out what I wanted to preach about, you see it connected closely, not only in the description of Jesus, but in talking about husbands. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25 just as Christ loved the church and what word comes next gave Christ loved and gave those two words strongly linked as the nature of divine love divine love gives and a husband illustrates that to his wife it's it's embedded in the daily experience of life and it comes to verse 32 This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. Love gives. And God wants divine love to be seen in the way that husbands treat their wives and the rest of the family. While this can only be realized in the greatest extent by a husband following Christ's example of sacrificial love, there are glimpses of it in any husband who is truly loving his wife. Now, this is not going to be a sermon about husband responsibilities or fatherhood or, or anything like that. But it does, it does bear some time to reflect on the fact that when Jesus came to this earth, he never married because he was to be the groom of his one and only bride. The church, and all of us are part of that church. And Jesus showed ultimate divine love to his one ultimate bride, experienced by every one of us who are now part of the church. And by the end of his life, Jesus would show everyone how far, wide, and deep the love of God could go in giving himself for his bride as. The bride of Christ we are. He would embody divine love for the rest of time. This morning I want us to realize that the best way to experience the nature of God is to give and receive love. It's easy to talk about it. What's really valuable is to act it out and to receive it. And although I could find lots of places where Jesus showed love in his ministry and many places where Jesus told us about love, In his teaching, I wanted to take a different approach and ask the question Is there any place where we can see Jesus receive divine love by a person? And I figured out it's there and it's in the Christmas story. Today, I want us to have four glimpses of Jesus receiving divine love from a man we don't hear enough about during this time of year. It's Joseph, the husband of Mary and Jesus' earthly father. Now, Joseph was on my mind because of the recent movie, Journey to Bethlehem. And I don't know if you've seen it or not. This is the poster for it. Journey to Bethlehem is um, not your traditional Christmas movie. The first thing to understand is that it's a musical. And so you're going to be kind of taken by surprise with the contemporary Christian music that's embedded in it. But more than that, more than being a musical, it's actually a romantic comedy, and it's about Joseph and Mary and the lengths of their relationship in the event of heading to Bethlehem and having Jesus as the Son of God. Now, I'm not going to go into much about that movie in this sermon other than to encourage you to go watch it. It's great for kids. It's, it's fun. We saw it at the theater full of children and young people, and and we loved it, but it's also something that any husband and wife could look at and ask themselves about marriage too. It's a really fascinating movie. You can get it on digital download or go to some of the theaters here in town and it's still playing. But what I want us to see this morning is that Joseph's behavior as a husband illustrates the nature of divine love just as God intended it. He wanted a husband to reflect Christ-like love. In this case, Joseph's love actually benefited The child who came to show us how much God loves us. Well, we start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the first place he's mentioned. And in that passage, Joseph is described as a righteous man. Mary was engaged to Joseph before they came together. It was discovered she was pregnant. Verse 19, her husband Joseph being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly. That phrase, a righteous person or a righteous man, is used of nine different people in the New Testament. Joseph's the first one. It will also be used of Abel, John the Baptist, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, Joseph of Arimathea, Cornelius, and Lot. Four of the nine are in the Christmas story as righteous people. All of these are Old Testament saints who didn't have the Holy Spirit, They didn't have the death or even the example of Jesus to follow. But what they did have was the law that had accomplished in their lives its intended result. It taught them about the righteousness of God. It challenged them to follow it and to live out the righteousness of God as best as possible by acting in faith and obedience. And Joseph was one of those people. It should not surprise us when we look at Joseph's behavior in four stories this morning that a righteous man shows divine love. And if you and I want to be righteous, divine love should characterize us. His love was worthy of the God he followed. And four stories we're going to see the, this morning illustrate the mystery of divine love. Story number one, discovering how Jesus will be born. In Matthew 1, 18 to 25, We know how hard that news would have been for Mary and Joseph to handle. Your engaged wife is expecting a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have to raise the child as your own. In this entire situation, Joseph shows that divine love affirms. Divine love affirms. Well, he started with the desire For a secret divorce. Verse 19, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, he decided to divorce her secretly after he had considered these things. I know you might think of that as a negative and obviously God's will was not for Joseph to divorce Mary and and that was stopped. But what I want you to see is how his intentions were to affirm her, to keep her from being disgraced, to Make it private so that she would still maintain her reputation and her options for the future. So he's already affirming her in the attempt to try to keep this quiet. And then in verses 24 and 25, after the the angel appears to him in a dream and tells him what's actually happening, he makes the decision he'll go through with it. Verse 24, Joseph woke up, did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. Instead of divorcing her, it says he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Now, that is not something that is specified in the words of the angel. But Joseph decided himself to maintain her virginity, to prevent future questions, to prevent questions about the identity of Jesus after the birth, and to show that he trusted God's plan. This affirmation that Jesus would truly be the child of God and not his own son was an important part of his love for his wife and for that child. And then in verses 21 and 25, we find out that he goes ahead and agrees to name the baby Jesus. Verse 21, the angel tells him to give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And verse 25 says, and he named him Jesus. Now that on the one hand, looks like just a simple act of obedience, and it is. But what you don't understand probably is that it was typical for the firstborn son to be named after someone in the genealogy of the parents. Now, fortunately for us, we have the genealogy of Joseph in Matthew, and we have the genealogy of Mary in Luke. And you can read both of those genealogies twice, and you know what you won't find? You won't find the name Joshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Not one person in those genealogies had the name Joshua or Jesus, the Greek version of it, meaning this was distinct and it was a name that would affirm Jesus' identity and affirm the fact that they were trusting God's intentions. Out of love, Joseph went the extra mile to affirm his wife, his child. And the Lord's plan and His choices demonstrate our need to affirm those we love. Let's pause for a second and just ask, what is a tangible action you could do to affirm someone you love beyond just telling them you love them? And that's important. It's important to make sure they know and that they hear it. But it's also important that they see it in a tangible action. Going beyond what someone expects helps them see with their own eyes that the words you share are not empty. And just like seeing Jesus helped us know that God's words were true of his love, seeing love affirm someone around you helps them know that they are loved. Let's go to story two. Presenting Jesus in the temple. You've got to flip to Luke chapter 2 for this one. If you read in A Harmony of the Gospels, you find this story actually comes next in order. A lot of times we think of immediately after the birth that Jesus was taken away. And we'll get to that story later. But Luke ties it together in verse 21 where it says, When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. So a week after Jesus' birth, according to the custom of the law, he's both circumcised and named Jesus. Now, the next part of the story is his dedication in the temple, which happens 40 days after the birth in the case of a male child. Now, if it's a female child, they waited 80 days and There's reasons for that that we won't get into today. But if you look at Leviticus chapter 12, it's clear that 40 days after a male child was born was when you were supposed to come to the temple to make a sacrifice. And going with Mary to that temple was a sacrifice that showed dedication to Jesus and to the Lord. Joseph shows us that divine love sacrifices. Let's start there in verse 22. When the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, part of the reason for this dedication was to make the mother ceremonially clean because after the birth, she needed time to recover from uh, the different things that had made her uh, un. Unclean in in public, but this is a time to introduce her back to the faith community and to introduce the child to the faith community. And so that happens, but accompanying this is a sacrifice, verses 23 and 24. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. If you sing the 12 days of Christmas. There's your two turtle doves right there. That Christmas song is biblical in some ways. That I'll let you look up for yourself. But if you wondered about turtle doves. The point of turtle doves is not that they're cute. Although they are kind of cute. And it's not that they're rare. Although they are not always the easiest to get your hands on. The point of turtle doves is that they were small and cheap. And in Leviticus... The normal sacrifice is a year old lamb. A lamb old enough that it could be eaten or it could become part of the flock. But for a person who was in poverty, the law prescribed that two turtle doves or two pigeons could be offered. And that's how we know that Joseph and Mary were poor. Because they offer the sacrifice of people in poverty. And yet, This section is the first place where Jesus starts his path of following the law perfectly. You know, Jesus came to earth to fulfill the law because you and I couldn't. And God had created this law that must be fulfilled in order for it to be satisfied. And only one person could ever fulfill it. But do you realize that the first steps of fulfilling the law were completely out of Jesus' control? He couldn't circumcise himself. He couldn't offer a sacrifice in the temple for himself. It had to be done by a loving father who showed out of obedience that divine love sacrifices. And that dedicated love made it possible for Jesus to start fulfilling his eternal purpose. What's a gift that you can give that shows dedication to someone else? And it's not just something you wrap and put under the tree. What's a sacrifice of something you have for someone else? When you do that, they will know that they are loved and understand God's love even better. I got my start going to the Christian church in a way that is really incredible to me and it challenges me. Uh, I grew up in the Methodist church. Our family went some. Um, Our church was small. There wasn't much going on. Our next-door neighbor went to the Christian church and told me about church camp. And she said, uh, you know, you ought, to, you ought to think about going to church camp. You'd love it. Which she was right. I, I would. And I said, well, how much does it cost? And she told me what it cost. I think back then it was 50 bucks. I said, my parents can't afford for me to go to church camp. She goes, oh, our church pays for it for anybody that goes. Now, I think she actually paid for it, but that's okay. Somebody at that church paid for it. And I started going to church camp in the sixth grade, and it changed my life. Because somebody sacrificed $50 so that I could go to camp and showed me that they believed in me. And when I played Bible Bowl, somebody paid so I could be part of Bible Bowl because we were raised in a, in, a, in a home of poverty. It speaks to me to know that I was loved by someone who wouldn't just say, Hey, you, you know, you, you're a person who ought to think about serving the Lord and instead said, What can I do? to make it possible for that to happen. Divine love sacrifices. Let's look at story three. We've seen the story of discovering that Jesus was to be born. We've seen the story of presenting Jesus in the temple. Story three, taking Jesus on the run. Back to Matthew chapter two. We're very familiar with Joseph's dream to get up and go to Egypt. I can tell you I don't think it happened quite as suspensefully or as Intensely, as the movies show. And if you watch Journey to Bethlehem, it adds a a whole new twist to that story that I won't even get into here. But what I want you to see is when we come to verse 13, Joseph pays the price to keep Mary and Joseph safe, even though it's inconvenient. Remember, Joseph is from Bethlehem. That's his home. That's his family's lineal home. He could have stayed there and... Probably eventually found work and a place to live. But when the dream comes, this is what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up. Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. So Joseph protects Jesus from Herod's murderous decree. You know, I don't think it was quite as suspenseful as it looks because Joseph was immediately obedient to do that. But that wasn't his last dream. They get to Egypt and Egypt would have been a great place to stay. We know from history that there was a large group of Jews who had settled in Alexandria. In fact, the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek took place in Egypt by Jews who had settled there. There were scholars, there was a library, there were synagogues. Joseph and Mary could have had a life in Egypt with Joseph doing much work, building any number of things. And in the middle of settling in Egypt, tells us that there's another dream. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. To Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Because the one who intended to kill the child is dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. And I don't think Joseph probably realized it. But Hellenism in Egypt was not the right environment for the Messiah to be raised. They didn't completely comply with the law because they couldn't. They were too far away from the temple, so they couldn't go there to sacrifice. So they had their own little, you know, three-quarters version of Judaism that they tried to do to, to be as close to God as possible, being in a foreign land. But Jesus needed to be fully Jewish. And so Joseph takes him back so he can. And then there's another dream, and it comes in verse 22. He protects Jesus from Herod's evil son, Archelaus. When he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee, a slower, quieter place for the young family to grow, miles away from the political intrigue of Jerusalem, in a place where Jesus could fulfill other prophecies about being a Nazarene. Joseph's loving protection of Jesus helped fulfill at least three prophecies but it also illustrated for us that divine love protects. Divine love protects. What protection does someone need that you could provide? You know, sometimes we get to the point in our love for someone where we think they need to just kind of grow up and take care of themselves, and that's true. Everybody does need to be responsible for their own burdens. And there are times that adults need to become adults and not be treated like children. But sometimes we miss a chance to show divine love when we fail to protect or decide not to protect someone. Jesus said later, no greater love has a person than to lay his life down for someone else. Not just for a child, but even for an adult. And so I hope as you would see love as something God wants you to show, that you would be thinking, how can I protect Someone. One, one final story, and this is not a Christmas story, but it's actually the last story where we see Joseph mentioned, and it's in Luke chapter 2. It comes 12 years later when they have been in the habit of taking Jesus to Jerusalem, back to that same temple where he was presented for festivals, for the Passover. And you remember this story, Jesus gets left in Jerusalem. And the parents, you know, have been universally put down and all of us who have been a parent that has done that to our child have kind of had to take that walk of shame back to the place where we left our child and go, oh yeah, sorry about that. Forgot it was my day to pick him up or forgot that I didn't have him in the car. Yeah, it was his mom's fault. You know, she was supposed to take him. This happened to me twice, by the way. You you can tell your own story. Once I left my child at uh, preschool on the day that I was supposed to pick him up and once I left him at the community college by himself, and he was like 12, and, and, and he gave me the look when I got back, like, what kind of father are you? You know, and fortunately we're over it. We have a great relationship. But that's not the part of the story I want you to look at here. I want you to see as we look at this story how many times the word search is used. And I want you to realize that divine love searches they, they started by searching among their own traveling party. Verse 44, assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey and began looking for him among their relatives and friends. We're all in this caravan, we'll just go ask. Surely he's with his aunt or uncle or grandparents or friends. And by the time they got through the whole caravan, a day was over and he still wasn't found. So now they've got to go a day back to Jerusalem and it talks about that in verses 45 and 46. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Here's the word again. To search. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I don't know if, if it was three days that he was separated from them or three days they were looking in Jerusalem. The text isn't clear. And they find him there and they let him know, verse 48, verse 48, his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this, your father? And I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus gets the picture because his first response is, why were you searching for me? Now, now, here's the thing. Jesus is not down on them for looking for him. He's actually down on them for not knowing where they would find him. They'd find him in the temple. And they looked everywhere else but the temple. You know, he was in the, he was in the last place they looked. And and it's almost like Jesus is saying, isn't this the first place you should have looked? That I would be in my father's house. He did not put them down for their search. In fact, his parents searching for him was some of the strongest evidence of the nature of God's divine love as a father. How good does it feel to be searched for? How good does it feel to be found and when was the last time you searched for someone that you loved to show them that you were concerned about them, to see where they were at, to see how they were doing? And you might get there and everything's fine, but you might also get there just in the nick of time to show them that they are loved. You know, if there's ever a time we should see divine love, it's during the Christmas season. The clearest sign of divine love in the Christmas story is obviously the gift of Jesus. He came to show God's love to us in all four of those elements. The world's need for love can only be met by the expression of God's love in the birth of Jesus. These divine elements, the the gift of Jesus affirms you. God says you are so important to him that he will give you the best of himself. And if you don't feel important this year, when you see a child in the nativity scene, Don't think of that as Mary and Joseph's child. Think of it as God's child given to show you how much God affirms who you are and how much you mean. And of course, the gift of Jesus sacrifices for you. Sin makes all of us unclean in God's eyes. Every one of us needs a sacrifice that dedicates us to the Lord and shows that we are accepted, that meets our need To fulfill God's righteousness. And Jesus came willingly knowing that would be his outcome. The gift of Jesus protects you. Satan wants to capture everyone in the ways of the world. But in the most encouraging verse about God's love that I can imagine. Romans 8.35 says this. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Affliction? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? The sword, of course not. And Paul goes through all those things that can't separate us from God's love and says in verse 39, no created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like he protects us from all of it. He covers us so those things can't touch us. But most importantly, the gift of Jesus searches for you. And if you feel lost, if you feel alone in a corner, remember the parables Jesus told in Luke 15. It's no accident in my mind that the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, all involve the word searching. In fact, the first words we hear out of the mouth of Jesus, why were you searching for me? He uses that word in those parables to talk about how important each person is when they are lost. And that God loves them so much that he will not stop searching until he finds them. He looks in the wilderness, in the corners, and in the distance to find you. And when he does, he celebrates the fact that you are found. And he calls everybody else to celebrate with him. And so if you ever doubt that you are loved, there is no better time than Christmas, to be confident in divine love through the generous gift of Jesus. But there's also no better time than to show divine love. Because here's something you may never notice. I didn't notice it till I looked in this sermon. We may have never known about the love of God as shown in the birth of Jesus if it hadn't been for the love of Joseph that he showed his wife and son and the Lord through His own love. Even today, many people miss the love of God, not because they can't see the love of God, but because they can't see the love of people reflecting the love of God. And that's where you and I come in. This morning, let's not just look at Jesus and field love. Let's look at Joseph and show love. Who is someone in your life that needs to know right now that they are loved? How can you affirm them in a tangible way? How can you sacrifice to show them how valuable they are? How could you step in and protect them from something they're facing? How could you go the extra mile to search for them and show them how much you care? This Christmas, the most generous thing you can do is show divine love to someone who doesn't know Jesus so they will see His love in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and showing us at Christmas not just how much you love us, but how much you expect us to love others. May we do that in obedience and in reflection of your divine nature. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dr. Fincher. Would you all thank Dr. Fincher for being here? Man, we are, uh, we're so grateful for you to be here today, especially as we celebrated uh, these new, new lives, making this decision to follow Jesus and to hear this message uh, from Dr. Fincher. I'm so grateful for him. Um, as you guys are thinking about it over these next couple of days, week, uh, heading into Christmas especially, just keep these families lifted up that made this decision today because we recognize that we have an enemy that hates when those decisions are made. And he desires to do everything possible to see us re- change our mind to reverse our direction, and so make sure you keep them lifted in your prayers i 'm going to invite you to stand up uh, we 're going to sing one more song before we head out of here, uh, just celebrating this God of love this uh, this baby Jesus that we recognize here in just a couple of weeks of what Christmas means, this introduction hope, love, joy, and peace that change the world forever. I'm so grateful to celebrate it with you and look forward to seeing you back here next week. Let's pray and then we'll sing this song. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these, your people, for this, your church. Uh, I just pray for your blessing to be on them. Father, thank you for Dr. Fincher, for his work, for uh, all that CCCB is focused on in helping prepare young men and women. Uh, to spread the good news, to share the gospel with the world. Father, we are forever grateful for your son, for his birth, for his life that we follow, and certainly for his sacrifice that he made on our behalf. We love you so much, Lord. We pray all of these things together this morning. In the name of Jesus and everyone who believes, shout it, amen.